What happens when you go through the door? I see Trinity. And something happens. Something bad. She starts to fall. And then I wake up. Do you see her die? No. You have the sight now, Neil. You are looking at the world without time. Then why can't I see what happens to her? We can never see past the choices we don't understand. Are you saying I have to choose whether Trinity lives or dies? No. We've already made the choice. Now you have to understand it. No. I can't do that. I won't. Well, you have to. Why? Because you're the one. What if I can't? What happens if I fail? Then Zion will fall. Welcome to the Film Effect Treatment. It's the Film Effect Podcast. I have sharpened up my blades. This cellular is being shredded with weapons. I've smoked a lot of fucking weed in my life. <laughs> I don't think I've ever scored weed at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we're kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, a weekly show that deep dives into a different motion picture each episode in an effort to give it that full film effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is The Matrix Reloaded. Here we go. Hi, you fellas. It's him. Do we proceed? Yes. You still only human. All of our lives, we have fought this war. Tonight, I believe we can end it. That's a nice trick. Huh. Upgrades. Mr. Anderson. Surprised to see me? So now he's found a way to copy himself. Now there's more than one of them. A lot more. They're boring from the surface straight down to Zion. There is only one way to save our city. Neo. What happens if I fail? Then Zion will fall. They need you. I need you. If the 
prophecy is true, what if tomorrow the war could be over? Isn't that worth fighting for? Isn't that worth dying for? All right, in The Matrix Reloaded, Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus continue to lead the revolt against the machine army, unleashing their arsenal of extraordinary skills and weaponry against the systematic forces of repression and exploitation. So, The Matrix Reloaded. I remember seeing the teaser for both of these films because this was notoriously you know this was famously shot you know along with the third film uh back to back back in 2001 and 2002 and i remember uh spider-man either spider-man or star wars episode two the summer before this came out had the like the, the big like coming next summer the matrix reloaded and revolutions and uh it didn't really have much to show except for the... I do remember the key shot in that teaser was uh, that very early teaser. It was like that big lobby fight uh, towards the end. and they, the, the, they have like swords and like ball chains and they're all going after Neo and they're flipping over the balcony and stairwell from one end to the other. That shot was in that teaser. And everything else was kind of vague. It was just enough to get you hyped for the following summer and boy this was something when it came out i oh, yeah. can't really say too much for the third one but reloaded at least was like i mean it had been four years since the last film and just this was when the internet was a big deal you know it's not like it wasn't like it is today how it's it's pretty much an everyday thing of life now back then the internet was like the cool hip thing and it it, it turned up in these it, it they showcase that you know in these movies like this like the way they did in the first one and then this one the way it kind of heightened everything that the first one you know delivered because there was a lot of game changing effects like bullet time and whatnot and uh this movie just elevated that and had a couple of tricks up their uh a couple of tricks up its own sleeve uh, i have to add so how about you? What are your earliest thoughts on this movie? Yeah, uh, I remember the teaser, like you said. I don't remember uh, what movie it was in front of, but I just remember being excited. Like this, uh, this was one of my most anticipated movies uh, for the summer. So I was just super pumped. I mean, I love the original. Um, I was just so excited. This one looked like I knew it was like a mammoth. I had read stuff about the production. I knew it was like a mammoth undertaking shooting back to back i knew like the special effects alone were going to cost like a hundred million dollars like i just knew this was like going to be a huge blockbuster and i was just so ready for it. oh yeah and so pumped so that's the main thing i remember all right first time viewings uh, it's, it's just that you see this is actually uh my, my first time no no my first it's my first time uh since my first time so technically that's my second time and i don't i don't i don't want to suck at it so if i'm not i'll let you go first when did you see this for the first time uh i mean if i'm not mistaken i'm pretty sure we saw it at the same time in the theater at lowe's but uh i could be misremembered i definitely saw it in theaters uh but i thought we saw it together uh unless i'm wrong all right you're probably right because uh my first time was opening day at the theater um and it actually kind of 
leads into story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So this film came out on, if I'm not mistaken, a Thursday. Either a Wednesday. No, it was definitely a Thursday. Um, otherwise, the story wouldn't make sense because it was. It took place during our camping weekend. It, you know, it came out. You know, May sixteenth, middle of May, and middle of May was always my weekend camping trip to uh, Hershey with uh, my uncle and uh, you came a couple of years this year you weren't there because this was the year that uh, me my ex at the time Mary Jane and uh, Venker came with Laura so it was kind of like a double date sort of weekend thing and yeah the one thing I remember about that trip was it it just rained the entire weekend to the point where Laura and Joe dipped out. They didn't even end up going to the park with us that Saturday. By Friday, they were just checking out and went home because <laughs> they were just tired of it raining. But that Thursday, um, we went, we made an effort to just search all around Hershey, you know, because we weren't really familiar with like downtown Hershey and whatnot. We were just searching frantically for movie theaters. I remember calling, like, the, the, we didn't have internet on our cell phones and stuff. It was a different time back in 2003. This is almost 20 years ago. So we eventually found this like really under, let's just say it was an underwhelming theater, uh, a couple miles outside of Hershey finally. And we, uh, the film started like an hour beforehand, but we, we found a theater. Wasn't the best theater in the world. <laughs> it wasn't an auditorium. And that kind of leads it. It, uh, it wasn't the auditorium no, no, for at East Point. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, nothing, nothing grand like that. Um, but we saw it because I had to, and it was raining. Because what else were we gonna do? But that actually does tie into your first time. Because yes, uh, I remember coming home, and then that following, either during the week or that following weekend, I was like, I had to see this film in a you know a real theater with you know real sound and whatnot so. <laughs> not on a school projector uh with a couple uh like stereo speakers yeah. yeah i mean it wasn't even there wasn't even um stadium seating in this auditorium that we saw it in you know well at this time just, like the new theaters were the only ones that run had of the that. mill like run a mill theater was still flat you know but yeah exactly i mean i remember there being like a very faint ticking sound and on in the speakers and it just it, it was nothing like the experience at the multiplex so i was just like yeah i'm glad i saw it this was the reason we settled for this theater because it was just like where else are we gonna go we this is showing it we're here why not but yeah i gave it the the treatment it deserved when i got home and that's probably the time you came yeah so. i it it, it was it holds up. It was it was close to opening. I don't remember exactly when. I remember the theater was pretty packed though. I remember when we got there, we took our normal seats like towards the back and it was pretty packed. And there there might have been other people there, but I definitely remember us seeing it. Uh I was fairly certain because we were both yeah, so excited. This this was before the days when you uh nowadays you get to pick your seats. This is way before that. Yeah. So all right. All right, it's two live top five. Rob, it's your turn. 
Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. So let's do top five summer films of 2003, because why not? Honestly, the reason I picked this one for this episode is because this was a blockbuster hit that summer and that summer was just huge i i really do have a good memory of the summer of 2003 it was, it's um, as a whole but as but especially with movies a lot of sequels um a lot of overall good films they weren't all winners but i do remember going to the theater a lot i i think i saw every single except for like maybe one or two movies in the theater that summer. Well, I mean, Lowe's you know? was our- later on that year. They came out on video, and I was renting them at Blockbuster. So yeah, and I mean, AMC Lowe's was like our church. Like, I mean, like our you know yeah. we would go to work. Like, I remember leaving work and going to see the Hulk that summer, and like it turned out to be boring, mm-hmm. and I fell asleep. But <laughs> that's pretty much what we did every weekend. So yeah, we saw pretty much everything. All right. So my number five is Terminator 3. I was on the fence about including this one, but you know what? I love that ending so much. And when you look back on 2003, when we first saw this, I mean, I I didn't see it with you. I definitely saw it in at when I was on vacation at Ocean City. I went and saw it with Metzger. And fucking loved the ending so much because it had balls that we went back the following night and saw it again. And I think I came out that summer seeing that movie three or four times in the theater because I just love the ending so much. And to this day, the movie as a whole does not really hold up that well. Um, it's better than a lot of sequels, honestly, um, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of the newer ones, at least. Better than Genesis. Uh, but that ending, yeah, that's for sure. But that ending, dude, phew, that ending fucking rules. So yeah, Terminator 3 is my number five. How about you? Um, so I have a couple uh, just quick honorable mentions because there was just so many good movies like looking back at the list. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure, go on. So two were actually released in like beginning or middle of September, but they were so good. I wanted to mention them. Matchstick Men, Tony Scott, uh, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, Nick um, Cage. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Excellent movie. Uh, really underrated, but uh, great movie, especially if you like Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. Um, another one mm-hmm. is the rundown. It was released like the second week of September, uh, an early rock. Yeah, movie that's right. That was really great. Oh, dude. Sean William Scott, a brief cameo by Schwarzenegger in the opening scene. Yeah. Christopher Walken is the bad dude, directed guy. by Walken's the villain. Rosario, Rosario Dawson directed by Peter Berg. Yeah. Great. That movie, movie is awesome. Yes, it did. Definitely. Uh, mine. What's your number five? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and then my last honorable mention. This was released during the summer, but it just didn't make the list. Was Pirates. Um, I like the. I think it, the original Pirates was the best one. Curse of the Black Pearl. Not the huge fan of the other sequels, but the first one was definitely the best. Uh, but to make it quick, my number five is Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, I was so excited. I love oh. Fast and the Furious. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a car right. guy. I remember seeing the movie. I don't remember if it was with you or uh, who I saw it with. I saw it in theaters. Oh, it was me. Yeah. Oh, it was me. We saw it in theaters, and I drove home like 100 miles an hour. Like, I should yep. not have done that. 
but I did. Like we I, all wanted to be Paul Walker. Yeah, I just love the cars in that movie. They're they're. Uh, Tyrese was um, a good addition. It was just a fun movie, not anything great, but just a fun summer action movie. And if you like cars, I definitely think it's uh, worth your while. I love how every single scene Tyrese is in in that movie, he's eating something. There's a you ever funny, that? Yeah, he's eating something. There's he's a, always eating something. There's a funny story. Um, uh, the original, he was driving uh, the Eclipse in that. And they had it. I forget what color it was originally painted, but he walked up to it and he's like, I ain't driving that. You better paint this. <laughs> like they had to paint it a different color at the last minute just because Tyrese didn't like it. <laughs> the eclipse. It's pretty funny. Ejecto seat, cuz. <laughs> um, it's funny you mentioned Pirates because that was actually the movie I was kicking back and forth between with uh, T- T3. So that was my number five, but then I was like, nah, I'm putting T3 in its place, so that would have been my number six. That would have been my honorable mention, is Pirates. Um, so my number four is X2, X-Men United. Uh, probably my, well, definitely is my favorite of the original series. For sure, yeah. Um, still holds up, too. Oh, yeah, so. it's still, it's probably the only one that holds up. Even the original, which I liked at the time, really doesn't hold up, but the second one does. Yeah, it's good. All right. You. All right. So my number four is Bad Boys Two. Uh, Michael Bay at his best. Like uh, Will Smith, um, Martin Lawrence are both great. It's just a two and a half hour overwrought huge action movie, and it's it's got some like just really campy like actiony things in it. But I still love it. I still watch it every once in a while. Big fucking eyes, but a nice fucking fish. I love that movie. <laughs> uh, my number three is this: The Matrix Reloaded. Um, the, the summer of two thousand three. Uh, this this film, The Matrix in general, was just everywhere. So, whether it was the movie theaters with the two movies, uh, or the PlayStation Two with the Enter the Matrix game that was pretty big at the time. The Matrix was everywhere in 2003, and this film was living proof. So that's my number three, is The Matrix Reloaded. All right, so my number three is Freddy versus Jason. I was just so pumped for this movie. Like, I, you know, there was always rumors throughout, like, the mid to late 90s of this movie coming out. It finally happened this year, and I loved it. I mean, it, it was probably as good as I could ever hope and better. You know, it's, does some of the stuff still hold up today? Nah, but it's still a fun movie if you're a fan of either franchise or as a, you know, we were, we were a fan of both. Uh, so I just remember loving seeing that movie in theater and just having a great time. Yeah, me too, definitely. I have a lot of stories and memories of that movie. I just wish it held up. Um, unfortunately, it's not either my number two nor number one, on spoiler alert. Um yeah, I, I thought about it, but I was like, eh, no, because it does not really hold up. And there's, I have a lot of, let's just say, whenever we get to that movie on this show, I have a lot to say. So, um, but man, I, res- I respect you totally putting that on the version number three because I don't, I don't blame you. Both, you know, we're, we're horror hounds, so you know, we're horror hounds. I get it. My number two is Bad Boys Two. Because Bad Boys 2 fucking rules. <laughs> How about you? Um, so my number two is the movie we're talking about today, uh, Matrix Reloaded. Um, 
I was really pumped about nice. it. It lived up to my expectations, and I just couldn't wait for the next one to come out. But like you said, it was everywhere during the summer. I mean, Matrix, everything. You know, I can't even think of all the stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it did mm. not disappoint. Why do I have a feeling we have the same number one? So my number one is Finding Nemo. Am I wrong? You're not, not no, no, different. mine's different. Finding Nemo was another one that just missed the cut. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I adore that movie to death. It's, it's in my top three all time favorite Pixar films. Um, it, it still holds up. I just watched it last year along with the sequel, which eh, wasn't that bad upon my second rewatch. But, uh, I, I just, I love so much about Finding Nemo. I mean, I was, it's funny because, like, a, a couple months back at work, I was working with the Night Crow, and we were all just randomly quoting that movie the entire night to keep ourselves occupied and busy. And it was just funny as hell. And just, I don't know, had a good time with it. I love Fun the Nemo so much. So that is definitely my favorite film of the summer season of 03. So, yeah. How about you? What is your number one? Yeah, so I acknowledge Finding Nemo is probably better than my number one, like a better movie, because it is a really great movie. And I that was another one that almost made uh, the list. I had like a list of eight that I wrote down, and then I had to like narrow it down. Uh, but my number one, just thinking back, so like a lot of the picks I made, I'm just thinking back to the summer of that year, as fuzzy as some things may be. Uh, and my most anticipated movie was X2. I could not wait. Like I was just so excited for that movie. It had Nightcrawler in it, and he's like uh, not my favorite X Men, but one of my favorite. And I saw it, and I just thought it was like the greatest thing ever. Like back then, like I loved X Two. Like that was, if you had told me to pick like one of my favorite movies of that whole year, X Two would have been it. Like it it didn't disappoint. I saw it like three or four times in theaters, maybe. Um, I, I just yeah that. I was just so excited about X2. Like, I just think back to it. Like, I was counting down the days, literally, uh, until X2 came out. I think I had to work opening night because I, I was working at Blockbuster back then. I think I had to work. I think I had to see it, like, a day or two later, and it was killing me. I remember seeing the trailer for that movie the first time the the, the year before. It was attached to the two towers, Lord of the Rings. Um and I do remember seeing it for free because working at Blockbuster, um, a couple of weeks before the film was released, they re-released the first film, uh, Fox, on DVD. And it was called like X-Men 1.5 or some bullshit. And it came with um, like a up to twelve fifty or $13 off you know, ticket for X2. And every single... It was a random copy because you know you worked at Blockbuster briefly. You know how they always sent the movies in already prepped. You know you had your dummy boxes and then you had your actual rental cases already prepped, ready to go. All you had to do was scan them all in the inventory and they could get put out the following uh, Tuesday. Well, for this was a really weird one-off circumstance where we got like ten copies in, uh, and we thought they were for retail because it was a re-release of a movie that was three years old at that point, uh, or two years old. Uh, no, three, I was right. But no, they were rentals, turns out. And we had to, like, get, like, ten blank Amrays and take, you know, uh, we had to print out, like, ten cases. You know, it's funny. Cases. I think I, and I, think I, I got one of them. They were brand new. I think I and got one of them. all ten of them, 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I, I yeah. they all had the coupons I inside think, of them, and I, I was think, the one who prepped the rentals, so I just kept them all no, and I gave think, them out to people, all my friends and shit. So, yeah. yeah I think can. you gave me one because I think Venker got one. I think you kept, like, a couple or several. But, yeah, I right. think I might have – because I distinctly remember having one, but I don't have mm-hmm. 1.5. Like, I have the original DVD release. And this X-Men. was back, like – this was back when, you know, those tickets would actually cover the entire admission – so I miss know, those like, days. it's not like nowadays when whenever they do that, it only covers like up to half the ticket because of the, the theater cost these days. So different time, different era. So, OK, um, let's talk about the Matrix Reloaded, shall we? Let's go. So, just like the original, this kicks off with that standard Matrix opening. Um, you know, the Matrix code, the Warner Brothers Village Roadside Showcase. And then, this time though, I meant, I noticed, um, especially after watching the first one last night, now tonight, doing this one, um, it's it's like there's a grander use of the uh, of 3D effects with the Matrix code that the first one didn't really do. That they do, they like kind of like show. It's like, hey, we have a new trick that we can do. We can take this code from the first one, but now we can make it 3D and show off different shapes and sizes. And we're gonna show that off for like eh, a quarter of the movie is gonna be that kind of shit. So, <laughs> and they they do it here right away. That's how it kind of like it counts how it pulls you into the film itself. So, and you know starts off with a bang almost quite literally we get some guards checking out for the night like it's like checking out leaving for the shift that's at night we get this um one guard goes outside and notices that from a distance like this person all black and leather we know it's trinity take her derper our motorcycle and just fly off the thing does a black flip off the dropping bike the bike crashes down onto the building that we all just came out of and it causes this explosion and it's really gnarly slow-mo shot like it it starts it's it's real time but then as she lands in like this split formation right in front of the explosion it's like it goes into slow motion it's like really it's a shot that really holds up i, I think it's one hell of a cool ass shot i'm not gonna lie yeah a lot of the effects um, in this still hold up i mean there's stuff that isn't and we'll cover it but a lot oh, of there's stuff definitely some shit good. i'm gonna be pointing out yeah 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 so she fights off the guards uh that are remaining and then says she's in uh then we immediately cut to her diving out of a window while firing off at this agent because this is the matrix we have agents still who is firing and chasing her. There's like this slow-mo effect of her diving out the window, then they're turning around, firing her weapon, falling backwards. Such a cool shot. Pretty high up. It's such a neat shot. It really is. And then the the agent's like diving out after her. The camera work, dude, I fucking love Bill Pope. Talked about him in the uh, previous episode. He like, the way he follows the agent that's chasing her from the back and then takes the camera angle and just takes it outside and look, drops down with like the action. Love it, man. Yeah, you know how they um, shot uh, Trinity falling like that backwards? Do you know how they did that? 
I mean, I just assumed it was either the use as a wire or a green screen or green screen. So they actually had her sitting in a chair, like vertical, like mm-hmm. and in stirrups, and they had a camera go by to give like the illusion of movement. So they're like, that's how they had her. Part. Right. And obviously there's digital stuff, obviously, but uh she was actually yeah, in a course. chair vertical like that, and the camera um was on a track and went by. And that's how they did it. I mean, it looks cool as shit, and the fact that it takes place at nighttime, there's a lot of uh, wiggle room to hide certain things, you know? And especially the fact that she's wearing all black, so, I mean, they can do the whole entire thing on a green screen, and you won't be able to notice, because you you just won't. Um, So, the agent firing off at her finally hits her in, like, the torso, and then she just falls down, like, splat, crashes, destroys this car that she lands on top of. And then it immediately cuts to uh, Neo waking up. He's the one who's dreaming this. So, yeah, Neo wakes up. He's in bed with Trinity. And then we see the Nebuchadnezzar along with its new pilot named Link. Yeah, and they're hiding in about? an area. We're going to talk about Link. We're going to. Just okay. like a second. So they hide in some sort of area. It's like I said in the last movie, uh, the last episode, there's a lot of hide and seek going on in the real world with these machines. And uh, Link says he's unsure of this place. Yeah, says he was scoping out some serious sentinel activity. Uh, And then Morpheus asks him to trust him, even though he's unsure why he wanted to be a part of their crew. He wants him to trust him. So Janet Pickens Smith, she's in this film. Niobe is her character. She's calling an emergency meeting on all of Zion's ships. An army of Sentinels is tunneling towards Zion. It will reach it within 72 hours. These geotherms confirm the last transmission of the Osiris. The machines are digging. They're boring from the surface straight down to Zion. Mother. They'll avoid the entire perimeter defense. How fast are they moving? Control estimates their descent at 100 meters an hour. Shit. How deep are they? Almost 2,000 meters. What about the scans from the Osiris? They can't be accurate. They may be. What? It's not possible. That'd mean there are a quarter million sentinels up there. That's right. That can't be. Why not? A sentinel for every man, woman, and child in Zion. That sounds exactly like the thinking of a machine to me. Morpheus, glad you could join us. Niobe, my apologies to all, but as you are undoubtedly aware, it has become increasingly difficult to locate a secure broadcast position. Squiddy's got all the best parts. Mainline with a crawler. And if Niobe's right, in 72 hours, it's going to be a quarter million more. What are we going to do about it? We're going to do what Commander Locke ordered us to do. We'll evacuate broadcast level and return to Zion. So Commander Locke orders all ships to return to Zion to prepare for an ons- for the onslaught, but Morpheus asks one ship to remain to contact the Oracle. Yeah, I just love the meeting. Like, the meeting, like, seeing all, like, the different, like, styles and hairdos and just, like, all the crazy stuff. Yeah, so I want to talk about meeting. that. Yeah, it's uh, just the way that people dress in the Matrix and how everyone wears stylish glasses, like... Always gotta look their best to enter some little reality. It's 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 funny. Just the wild hairstyles, and then in the real world, it's just normal. Just just a, just a sense of normalcy. But then when they get into this, like I said, simulated reality, phew, sky's the limit. It's kind of like uh, 
the uh, Dream Warriors in Elm Street Three, <laughs> just going kind in and of, being yeah. what they ever, whatever they dream of. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so how do how do we feel about Jada in her portrayal of Niobe? Eh, I think she's fine. She doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie. Pretty much just look cool and badass. Like that's pretty much her whole role. But I don't know if you ever played the video game Enter the Matrix. So you get her story and Ghost's story in Enter the Matrix, the video game. I remember playing it um, when this uh, came out, and it was a pretty good game. Uh, but that fills in mm-hmm. a lot more about their characters um, and the back stuff that's going on during this movie. You know, their part. Yeah, apparently, it. I briefly read over some information about it. the video game tells you. Uh, more about this attack that they're all having this meeting for like uh, you, you find out that they're using this like drill um, it's something about the, the, the spectacle of the oracle or something like that is, is, is what this all is called um, but uh, yeah anyway so personally I, I like Jada in this film um, I think it's funny and it's Ironic too because I forgot to tur- I completely dropped the ball and the entire Matrix episode did not mention the fact that Will Smith regrettably turned down the role of Morphe of of uh, Neo and now here we are his wife you know is now in this <laughs> series kind of like holding down the fort for the Smiths you know what I'm saying yeah uh but yeah I like her though I like her in this movie um. Yeah, talk about regrets turning down the role of fucking Neo. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I can see it now. I make this look good. <laughs> well, it's funny too because that's when he was offered the role, 96. That's when he turned it down. He said, now I got this other project coming up that I'm, you know, I think I got a better feeling about, I guess. How many people are... When, how many people are talking about Wild Wild West Part 2? No one. <laughs> um, and then at that time... I read that Val Kilmer was in the running. He was supposed to play Morpheus. I could see that more. So post- I could see that more, Val Kilmer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I could too. I never really thought about it. I just learned that tidbit of information recently. I mean, I've known about other rumored roles um, or potential actors who were supposed to be in the running, but Val Kilmer was one of the, the fresher ones that I had heard about before. Um... So anyway, we also get our first glimpse of the returning Agent Smith, played by the returning Hugo Weaver. Yeah, Hugo Weaving. Uh, he's returning to knock on the door of the meeting from outside. He tells the guard to give him an envelope to Neo, to give this envelope to Neo and tell him that he set him free uh, before being told to piss off by the guy. Inside the envelopes is Smith earpiece. So Neo announces everyone to wrap up. Agents are coming. Or no, agents are here. Fuck that coming noise. They're there. Um, so Neo's putting a new look in this movie. It's kind of similar, but kind of not. He's got this like collared top coat trench style thing going on. That's like, it's like a cloth material. It's not leather. Yeah, do you think um, they did it? A lot for less effects? leather in this movie. Do you think they did it like the long black coat just to make the effects easier down the road, or do you think there was another reason they changed it? I don't know any insight on this. I'm just totally 
assuming things, but if I were to be a betting man, I would say they went with a more traditional cloth look because leather was a pain in the ass to work in, especially these stunts. Yeah. Uh, um, and I don't know. I think it kind of like gives Keanu's character more of um, like a samurai-ish look. You know, it's kind of like he's wearing a robe throughout the movie, even though he's not. Um, I don't, to be honest with you, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I really don't. Um, whereas I do dig the look of his film. I do dig his look in the first film. I just, it's kind of a, I don't, I don't, you know what it is? To be honest with you, it's the collar. I can't get over the collar. The popped collar, it's kind of like, <laughs> makes it look like a turtleneck almost. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's the collar, man. That's what it is. <laughs> so, anyway, Neo is fighting these three agents after they proceed with combat because he's still only human, they say. And right away, Neo notices that they've all been upgraded. So he fights them off and then flies away to visit the Oracle, who is no longer in the apartment from the first film. Also, we see Smith encountering another Smith before the scene comes to an end. So, this was our first big fight, this movie. The the fighting choreography, it's um, basically the same thing as the first, but uh, I don't know if you knew this. We talked about this in the in the, the previous episode, but Keanu's abilities, let's put it that way, were limited because he had severed a couple discs. He had some back issues prior to uh, filming and no, prior to training, actually. So he had to go through training, kind of like he was special. <laughs> yeah, and he couldn't do he couldn't do certain things. That's why a lot of in the first film, a lot of the action st- stuff that he does, um, especially in the dojo with Morpheus, he doesn't do a lot of whole kicking. It's in the, it's just a lot of upper body stuff, not a whole lot of kicking or swoops or nothing like that. I mean, yes, there are some, but it's minimal. So, and that's because of the whole back issue that he was having. Here, no back issues to report. Happy to report that, and he kind of was given car blanche to do whatever he could. You yeah. know, sky's the limit. I read that. And it, I like it. No, it's gonna... a lot more clean. It's a lot cleaner. Yeah. It is. It's kind of, it's kind of more like showier in this movie. Cause a lot of the stuff is like coordinated, uh, better. And just, there's a lot more choreography to go. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot of shit happening in this movie. It's like fighting style wise. But yeah, I I think it's I think it's an upgrade. No, I, like the I do too. Agents themselves are an upgrade. I think the fighting choreography is also an upgrade. Yeah, I do too. I I read that he did like eight months of training uh, before the movie. Um, like all the actors did training, but I read that he did like eight months. And um, yeah, I I think it's great too. It's definitely more choreographed. It's not, I don't know. It's not as hard hitting, I guess, as the first one felt in some spots. Um, but I found the first one to be kind of sloppy at in, in scenes and moments. Yeah, I I do too. That uh, but overall, I mean, the it, it's tight choreography. It looks good. Like it it looks like they're actually fighting. It doesn't look like they're dancing like in some other movies. Um, yeah, and just the way it's shot, like you can actually tell what's going on, who who's uh like who's where in relation to what. 
Like you can actually tell what's happening, not like other action movies. So yeah, I think it's all great. And where are you on Superman Neo? Superman Neo, it's cool. Like I remember at the end of the first movie, like, you know, the whole thing that he flies away. So I was excited that it paid off um, right away here. You see him fly away. The effects on it don't look that great today. Back then it looked fine. You know, it was probably as good as it was going to get. Uh, today it doesn't look that great watching it. But at, at the same time, I don't know. I was just like the fanboy in me at that time. I was like, oh, he was fine. It's so cool. But it creates the problem of like now he's almost too powerful, which is probably why he separated most of the movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I like that. I think it's a cool thing. Like he's, he's the one man. He should be able to do anything in there. Yeah. Okay. So I said it the last episode, I'll say it again. I'm out on flying Neo. I just, I don't know. I've never been a fan of it. And this movie, there's not really, except for the end. I don't know. I just feel kind of like he's like a show off and shit. I don't like this, like this right here. There's no need for him to fly off. And like, uh, link says do a Superman thing. Um, he's just, pumped. He what, just beat the crap out the of the sky. agents. Like he's just pumped. He's like, oh, yeah, right, I'm going to go fly now. He's, he's, he's going <laughs> to fly off that adrenaline. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just out on flying Neo. I don't, I I'm just, there's better ways we can handle this. Um, he can do some cooler things other than flying. I think flying is a cliche to begin with in its own. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't know. Like I said, that's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. God damn it. So the Nebuchadnezzar arrives back at Zion. So first thing we see in Zion's is really fucking boring and bright white control room. Where everyone's just kind of like sitting there moving their hands around like imaginary gestures and they're just kind of like relying on, you know, post effects to, can you imagine filming this scene like sitting there, it's like the director's like, alright guys, move your hands around in circular motion, <laughs> you pretend you're moving something to the right, drag it down to the left, you know, it's like. It must have been. Weird. It must have been weird, just because, like, think about this. This movie was shot in what two thousand two. Like, there was no multi-touch and stuff like that. Like, all these gestures, like they didn't exist back then. Like, you know, like they we didn't have these big touchscreen devices and stuff like that. Uh, like they do in this movie. So yeah, I'm sure they were probably like, and then you're gonna do a flippy do here, and then do a twisty there, and then, you know, yeah, I'm sure it was weird. Yeah, I think I just I think. It's- I feel like it's too futuristic, you know. There's a such thing as too much, and I think that's just a bit much. Because it's like, okay, let's think about the the logistics behind this. How does this work? Okay, <laughs> what are they actually touching and moving around? Like we see nothing, like no power source, no 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 nothing. It's just thin air. They're moving stuff around and making things work. Nothing, even though nothing's connected to it. Uh, I'm just rambling at this point. I don't know. It just looks weird. I've always hated it and nothing's changed. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently I didn't either. So this is the first time we're seeing Zion. We hear about it a lot in the first film, but we never see it. So this is a kind of a breath of fresh air. Um, just kind of a new set design to show off for the, the, the saga here. The, the Nebuchadnezzar ship itself is actually has 
went through an upgraded design effects wise as well. You can definitely tell it's uh there's a lot more things it's capable of doing that they didn't show off in the first film. Um, yeah, it looks a lot better. Then, it, then again, they've got like three times the budget too well, for yeah. the first movie, so of course they can change stuff. Do you know where the um, name of the ship comes from? It's a religious term. I'm just I I'm not a religious guy, so I just can't really comment on it. Well, luckily, uh, I used to be a religious guy because I had to go to the hard Catholic school uh, every. I know at Sunday school every week and church every week. So uh, sometimes I would go too and eat the cracker. Yeah, eat the cracker. I remember. Yep. So, uh, but I recognized it. So it is from the Old Testament in the Book of David. It was a Babylonian king um, named King Nebuchadnezzar, and um, one of the um, passages that it's dealing with. It's an oversimplification uh, for this, but essentially, the king has somebody to interpret his dreams. So that would be my guess as to why they did this, because there's so much, uh, you know, themes thematically in this movie about dreams right. versus reality. So that would be my guess for why they went with it. But yep, a Babylonian king. I don't know how the heck I remembered that, but it was just like Bing religious. And then <laughs> um, I didn't remember it was in the Book of David. I'm not that good. I had to look that up. But uh, yeah, I, I remember reading that passage at some point. I guess. Well, thank you for that, Corey. This has been your uh, church moment. <laughs> we appreciate that. So Zion, um, okay, like I said, uh, the first time seeing it, uh, there's kind of like two parts to Zion. We have the first thing that we see when they come in. You have that like futuristic industrial look that's going on on like the top part. And then like you go downward into like these like caves almost. Yeah, it's like yeah, warm well, caves. caves. Yeah. Yeah. And he also you didn't and mention that's where the pe- you, you see the big uh mech, the big gunslinger mech when they come in too. Uh you know, yeah, it was yeah, exactly. Kind of reminds you of uh the aliens, the, the the thing from that. Get away from her, you bitch. So <sighs> there's a guy who tells Morpheus with a serious quote unquote look and tone that the council wants to see him. Um, this guy has never sat right with me. He's just fucking terrible. He's trying to act all serious. Like councilwoman wants to see you. And they like, kind of like got this serious, like grin on his face. It's like, what the fuck did Morpheus do to you? God damn it. <laughs> so we're introduced to kid fucking kid. Who's obsessed with Neo and Trinity. Like, I compare him all the time to Mouse from the first film. Yeah, I got confused. I thought he was like Mouse or Mouse's brother or something. But have you ever seen the Animatrix? He's in the Animatrix. No, no. Yeah, so the Animatrix, um, it's actually pretty good. I've watched it a few times. It's a collection of like short animated. um, It's like 10 short stories. Yeah, some of them are stinkers. Some of them are good. But uh, his story is one of the stories. And he actually gets saved by Neo. He's like waking so up. So we do of. see that because they, they allude to him being saved by Neo in this movie, like in this moment actually coming up that we're talking about. So we actually do see that in the Animatrix. You is do. that what you're saying? He's a, I don't remember the exact details, but he's in school. But like he, you know, it, it's just like Neo, like he knows something's off. And then by the end, he right. actually breaks free and is falling out of a window and Neo flies and saves him. 
So yeah, because he's fucking super duper obsessed with the two of them. Like, <laughs> uh, I guess it makes sense. He saved his ass. Okay, and he's just a kid, hence his name. So Morpheus getting lectured now uh, by Commander Locke. It's revealed that Locke is a there. He's kind of like he's well, he is Dayton Niobe, who is who used to date Morpheus, which is I gotta hand it to these people. They really delivered a high school cliche with this goddamn shit in the script. I this subplot, I don't know. Get this shit out of my Matrix movie. This whole love triangle shit between Locke, Morpheus, and Niobe. I I don't want it. So thank God we don't really get it too deep with it. But still, the the, the fact that they have to go out of their way to mention like this history, and the fact that they're together, and it's like. I don't care. I really don't care. Niobe, she's fine on her own. She, she doesn't even need a significant other because she's just an independently strong character. I just, you know, she is, you know, we've seen the movies. We, 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 we're like, I, you know, Jada Pinkett is fucking awesome in this movie. I really have to hand it to her. She really is. Um, where her husband dropped the ball many years prior, she definitely picks it up and runs with it. Yeah, um, I think she's so. better in the next one, though. I think she has more to, at least more to do in the next one. But yeah, as far as looking cool, she's good in it. Okay. All right, so then we're introduced to Anthony Zerby's counselor, Hammond, who, uh, or Hammond, who enters and Morpheus tells him not to panic and stresses confidence that the machines will not even make it to Zion's gates because of Neo. A lot of prophecy babble talk in this movie, especially for Morpheus. Um, so let's discuss this uh, counselor character, uh, Anthony Zerby, and his role in um, these films. So we haven't been introduced to them yet. But we're going to eventually meet the the high council for this for for Zion, and he's more or less like the head counselor for this committee. Yeah, uh, he kind of acts has a voice of reason around Zion, um, and I you know veteran acting yeah veteran actor Anthony Zerby. Um, happy to see him in this role. I think he does a really good job. Uh, it's kind of like does a good job like you know playing peacekeeper within Zion especially between Morpheus and Niobe and uh, not Niobe uh, Morpheus and, and Locke yeah he's like a wise elder yeah I like him too uh, cool so Neo and Trinity immediately are getting hot and heavy in the elevator <laughs> after Link pulls Kid away um, then there's an entire colony of Zion people who are just in need of Neo's help after the elevator doors open. They look up to him like he's Jesus Christ himself. So he says that uh, he he tells Trinity that he needs her uh, as she's being pulled away, but she tells him that they, they need him too and that there's time for them too, the two of them. Neo, please. I have a son, Jacob, aboard the Gnosis. Please, watch over him. I'll try. I have a daughter on the Icarus. No way. It's all right. They need you. I need you. I know. There's time. 
all those spread of hope that he's the one. I, I guess word travels fast in Zion because I believe we're only six months out since the end of the first film. Yeah, if I'm six not mistaken. months. Yep. Okay. So there's Link. When he comes home. Ah, uh, where's my puss? Hey. <laughs> Fucking this scene's always made me laugh. Um so his significant other Z, he comes home to her. She doesn't like him being around Morpheus. Well, when he first comes in, he kind of stops himself because her friend's there with her children. And then when he comes in and settles in, they leave and she kind of warns him that uh, he's in, he's going to get it, basically. And then you hear Z say it. Uh, something like, you know, he's the one that's, I'm not the one that's got to worry or something like that. So do you know who this is? The character and actress, both. Um, I mean, character, it's uh, Tank and Dozer's uh, sister, right? Isn't that her Yes, character? from the first film. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah. as far as the uh, actress, no, I don't, I don't uh, recognize her from anything else. So it's not a gay. Not a gay is um, uh, Marvin Gaye's daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't have... She's, you know, done some... Um, she's done some work here and there. Doesn't have the biggest filmography, but um, she does a really good job in this. As a matter of fact, she was a replacement. Did you know that for um a lot the 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 late singer, Aaliyah? Yeah, she passed. Or she was in the uh, plane accident. Yeah, before uh, they could shoot right. the movie. Yeah, I heard about that. Yep. And I remember when that happened back in August of two thousand one. That was rough. But yeah, she had just started product. They because like I said, they started production of this in the summer of two thousand one. Um, when she had, she she actually did start filming. She had a couple of scenes already filmed in the can, as he, and then unfortunately passed away. So all those um scenes were cut and re- re- recast, obviously. Um, so yeah, that's I don't know if too many people knew that or not. It was kind of a big thing back when it happened 20 years ago. So, um, Counselor Hammond as Morpheus is, he's, he's basically, he's Morpheus's hype man before he confirms the rumors of the machine's arrival um, to the people of Zion before they have themselves one hell of a rave. many of you have heard, the machines have gathered an army, and as I speak, that army is drawing nearer to our home. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us, but if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here before you now, truthfully unafraid. Why? Because I believe something you do not? No! I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. 
I remember that for 100 years, they have sent their armies to destroy us. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Tonight, let us shake this cave. Tonight, let us tremble these halls of earth, steel, and stone. Let us be heard from red car to black sky. Tonight, let us make them remember. This is Zion, and we are not afraid! But this is where the green screen, there's a couple shots, at least in the high def. I'm like, oh, that doesn't look so good in high def anymore. A couple of... Uh, where at? Um, the rave itself? No, not the rave itself. When they're given the speech, especially when the councilman's up there, there's a shot, at least on my Blu-ray, It, it's an obvious green screen. Like, you would have to be blind not to see it. I was like, ooh, that, that didn't oh, age wow. so well. Just the, the way the color is and just the way... He's right. compositioned in it. It doesn't look good. It looks better when Morpheus comes up. And by the way, when Morpheus comes up, I was just thinking he's gonna be like, "Can you dig it?" Like that's just what I <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, the rest of the shots are okay, cool. Okay, like the party and everything. That all looks good. Like okay. the extras and all. Although if you really look at the extras, it's funny because some of them are just like so unenthused. Like they're just like punching the air, kind of like. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it, it, it's a cool scene. So it's intercut with uh, Neo and Trinity having some passionate sex. Just these two cannot keep themselves away from one another throughout this movie, I swear. But back to this rave. Um, this was definitely a 2003 thing because we, we had raves in a bunch of films this year. This, Freddy vs. Jason that you mentioned earlier, <laughs> and uh, the film with Macaulay Culkin, Party Monster, and Seth Green. That was uh, kind of a film about the club scene based on a true story. But I felt like 2003, graves were hot. They were happening. Oh, yeah, they were. It's a big thing, man. It's probably the height of Sean's life. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sean. I just had to say that. (laughs) Oh, I'm not sorry for laughing. That was funny shit. Uh, Nia then tells Trinity that he can't lose her because she's never letting go. Uh, I've always bought into this relationship between Trinity and Neo. I really do love these two. I love the chemistry between the actors. I love the characters and the, the shit they go through for one another. Um, it's it's definitely a well-written relationship in my opinion. So, it's lights out at 11 o'clock for Zion. So Morpheus wishes the city a good night. And then we cut to what feels like the tail end of another action scene as we see these two men, um, one of which is named Bane. They are hightailing it to a phone because they're in uh, the Matrix trying to get back to the real world. But Smith ends up uh, catching one of them, uh, Bane. He catches Bane after the one guy successfully gets uh, 
taken him out if, uh, from from the phone, and then we see this whole fucking what do you want to call this? Like just cyber stabbing, yeah. where he kind of like hits you and then turns himself into another version of himself. So what he does is he turns this guy Bane into Smith, and then the phone rings because they're expecting Bane to come out and fucking Morph not Morpheus um f- fucking um Smith like don't they, the phone rings and they both look down at the phone and the one's looking at the other one like you gotta answer that <laughs> don't mind if I do picks it up gets sucked in digitally might I add yeah so it's a neat idea this, I really didn't see that coming it is like, it with him really going is into the, uh, real world me neither uh, so I, I yeah. you know it might stretch logic a little bit but uh you know I I thought it was a neat idea I don't think it does I I think it's I think it is um it, it makes things interesting definitely oh yeah I love it uh, I especially, think it's a good especially addition. especially for what it sets up yeah. definitely um so yeah he's He's in a he's a rogue program in this film, Smith. We we learn this. He's a virus, essentially. I mean, that's and yeah, and his purpose is to pretty much infect the entire matrix. Um, which he's excuse me, which he's starting with this film, and then he kind of like in, in the next film he just fucking goes hog wild. So, Neo and the counselor are having a conversation late that evening. It's honestly a scene that I could just do with that because it's honestly pointless. I'm not going to be around the bush. I'm just going to call it like it is. It's just a reason to give Anthony Zerby some more screen time. Not that he don't deserve it. Not that he don't deserve it. It's Anthony Zerby. Great. Guy's great. But this film's already, you know... It's funny because it's supposed to be it clocks in because I watched this on um, HBO Max because they have the uh, the 4K uh, Dolby uh, whatever set up for this. To my surprise, I thought they only did the theatrical films that were day and date with HBO Max. I thought only they were those were given the 4K treatment, but no, they have older films. The first one was when I watched it the other day, and then to my surprise, reloaded as well. Looks great, by the way. But anyway. Getting back on track here. And I forgot what I was going with this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll talk about the scene real quick. Could it be cut? Yeah. I mean, it's all about machines and humans. Like, you know, it, the whole theme of the movie is like machines versus humans. But in this one, it kind of calls to the question of the machines aren't really all that different than the humans. And they kind of need each other, whether they like it or not. So that's kind of what his story is. Is all about you know sure. okay. fairly obviously. I'm, I remember now. Okay, so the runtime was already clocking in. It's supposed to be like two hours and twenty minutes. Um, it, this movie ends like right after the two hour mark. So I still feel with it being only the first half to a two part film, essentially, you, there's stuff that could be cut, and this is definitely one of them. This this uh, interaction here. Um, like I said, it's basically Anthony Zerby gets more screen time as he's questioning what things around Zion actually do. And he's basically just being an old fart. He's like, you see that over there? I don't even know what the hell that thing is. See that over there? I don't know what the hell that thing does. It's like, cool. Why the hell are you telling us this? Move on. (laughs) 
So the Nebuchadnezzar is taken off. Everyone says their goodbyes. Uh, of course, Link's Aziz uh, pissed off at Link, and everyone's just bummed the fuck out. So Bane goes to attack Neo with a butter knife. He's like cutting himself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not a butter knife, but he's stopped by a uh, kid who's. Uh, who he's inadvertently stopped by Kid, who's trying to get a hold of Neo to say goodbye before taking off, and he wants to give him a spoon. So, when I first saw this movie, like I said, it's it's not Mouse, actually. I, well, yeah, he kind of resembles Mouse. But when I first saw this for the first time, I kind of thought that he was the boy from the first movie with the spoon. There is no spoon. Yeah. Yes. Six months later, not six years. It's still, I I don't know, just take me back to May 2003. I just remember thinking to myself, is that the fucking kid with the, with the spoon from the first movie? But then again, that wouldn't make sense because that boy is probably not even real. I know. I'm just wondering um, how many people were like, what the fuck is that spoon? Like, why didn't he give him the whole set, the fork and the knife? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I know. That's like an old, like, I don't know. You can, it kind of resembles like an old rock, like something from the Flintstones. <laughs> so, of course, Commander's pissed about the ship leaving. He questions the chain of command to the Chandler, or uh, to a uh, counselor. And then Neo's linked, Leo's linked in to finally meet, uh, well, not meet, but finally meet up with this, uh, the Oracle, who's been playing hide and seek. But hey, uh, but he's got to go uh, through Seraph first. Seraph. How do you how do you pronounce this Seraph. guy's name? Seraph. Seraph. I was yeah. right. Okay. Um, and he's the Oracle's boyfriend. I'm not. Fuck. Bodyguard. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I said boyfriend. <laughs> just, just imagine, like, let's go, baby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got any more of those candies, baby? <laughs> oh God. Bodyguard. <laughs> the fighting choreography is definitely a step up. Um because at first he writes he's gotta fight him. Um because he he has to make sure he's really the one. And this was the role that Jet Li was originally attached to. Yeah, he was. Production began. They had him in mind, but he wanted to get paid like the same as Keanu Reeves to be in the movie, and that was the deal breaker. They're like, "Are you crazy?" Yeah, not only that, he also he didn't want his martial arts moves like digitally recorded. Like he wanted like he just didn't like the way they were doing things. I guess. Um, and you're right. He just wanted equal pay. For what a two-bit role, this dude's in like three scenes in this fucking movie. Yeah, like, he's he's got he gets one fight scene with Keanu, but that's it. You know, um, he's essentially a bodyguard more or less. So he takes Neo to meet the Oracle in this courtyard slash basketball court. After realizing that the Oracle was part of the Matrix, Neo asks how he can trust her. She replies that this is his decision. He tells her about his dream of Trinity's death, but he never can see the actual death itself take place. She says that he has to sight when the Oracle then instructs Neo to reach the source of the Matrix with the help of the Keymaker. 
So the very second her candy loving ass leaves <laughs> with Seraph, we get Agent Smith. Got my package? Yeah. Oh, good. Smith. Whoever it is, he's not reading like an agent. Surprised to see me? No. Then you're aware of it. Of what? Our connection. I don't fully understand how it happened. Perhaps some part of you imprinted onto me something overwritten or copied. It is at this point irrelevant. What matters is that whatever happened, happened for a reason. And what reason is that? I killed you, Mr. Anderson. I watched you die. With a certain satisfaction, I might add. And then something happened. Something that I knew was impossible, but it happened anyway. You destroyed me, Mr. Afterward, I knew the rules, I understood what I was supposed to do, but I didn't. I couldn't. I was compelled to stay, compelled to disobey. And now here I stand because of you, Mr. Anderson, because of you. I'm no longer an agent of this system. Because of you, I've changed, I'm unplugged, I'm a new man, so to speak like you, apparently free. Congratulations. Thank you. But, as you well know, appearances can be deceiving, which brings me back to the reason why we're here. We're not here because we're free. We're here because we're not free. There's no escaping reason, no denying purpose, because as we both know, without purpose, we would not exist. It is purpose that created us. Purpose that connects us. Purpose that pulls us, that guides us, that drives us. It is purpose that defines Purpose that binds us. We are here because of you, Mr. Anderson. We're here to take from you what you tried to take from us. Purpose. What's happening to him? He'll know. Yes, that's it. It'll be over soon. Telling you that after being defeated, he refused to be deleted and is now a rogue program. He demonstrates his ability to clone himself using his um, other fucking clones, his other inhibitants to uh, the Matrix. And th there's other agents that he also absorbs and just makes them other Smiths. He then tries to absorb Mia Neo but fails, prompting a battle between Smiths clones and Neo himself. So this fight here, okay... Even when I first saw it in theater in 2003, theater itself be damned, it just didn't look right. I felt, number one, too many Smiths. 
too many, okay? Get the concept, but at some point, it's like nothing but a layer of Smiths in this courtyard. It's a fucking yeah. bit ridiculous. And then you hear the bowling noises when they're getting knocked over. It's very subtle, but that's what they use, bowling noises, like when they're getting knocked over. Yeah, yeah. I, I picked up on that. Um, it's a well-designed fight scene, the fight itself. I, I, I do like it. Um, it's also funny because you can tell that, like, there's a couple that are digital alter alterations of Hugo, but a bunch of them are just lookalikes that are just dressed up and made to look like him, but clearly aren't. Yeah. <laughs> and you can tell. Oh, yeah. You can tell the um, hair but, is a big part of it because some of them have, like, oh, way yeah. better hairline oh, yeah. than uh, Hugo did. No offense, Mr. Weaving, but. <laughs> <laughs> true. It is true. He's, he's got one hell of a receding hairline. But. I don't know, like especially when he takes that like the the pole, and there's some swinging moves that he does. There's like, let's put it this way, the computer effects show painfully in some of these sequences in this in this main fight. I think they overreached a little bit for like the technology yes. they had at the time. I think they were a little too ambitious in this scene, and it doesn't. This is probably the worst overall scene in the whole movie as far as like effects go holding up today. Like you can definitely tell uh, when this was made. Especially when he takes off and flies away and then they all walk away in shame. Like, wah, wah, Actually, wah. I like that Damn part it, when they all just away. look at each other and they're like, oh, okay, I guess we're done now. I like that part, actually. This is all because of you, Mr. Smith. So... Like I said, overall fight starts solid, but then it gets extremely like convoluted with dodgy CG, even for 2003, and the amount of Smiths gets to be a bit much. So, yeah. we get at Wachowskis, you guys live in that more is better world, but goddamn. You know how like, many Smiths there were total on the scene? 80-something, I read? 80 even, yep. Okay, cool. Um... Although his one-liners to himself are great. Uh, just, yeah. yeah, they're great. Give me more Hugo talking to himself. Uh, and then another note I made here. I'm not personally blown away by the framework when everyone's sunglasses in this film. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, was, it was a time. It was a 2003 futuristic thing. I get it. But I just didn't like, you know, like the sharp corners and everything's kind of blocky and stuff and little i noticed a lot of framework in this movie like like on these like sunglasses themselves are like small ass frames i don't know it's weird i don't like it and then the vague dialogue like telling neo it's inevitable before he flies away it's like what is inevitable you son of a bitch like when all the all the Smiths are like dogpiling on him, and like the main Smith's talking to him by his side while he's looking all defeated, and he's like, "Mister, is Mister, Mister um, uh, Anderson, you know, it is inevitable." And I'm like, "What the fuck's inevitable? Stop being so vague." <laughs> it's, it's a high concept action blockbuster. They're they're trying to interject uh, the other themes into it. Some of it works, some of it not so much. Yeah, fair enough. So we get Commander Locke being ordered to find the Nebuchadnezzar by the council. 
Then two ships are volunteer. They have two ships that volunteer, one of them being Niobe's ship, to go after it to prevent an all-out war. Uh, and then this is, of course, to the disdain of her boyfriend, Locke. So Neo, Morpheus, and Trinity go to see the Nerovingian, along with his gorgeous wife, Persephone, played by the gorgeous Monica Bellucci. Goddamn. She still looks fucking amazing today. You know, this is she's like she looks hot in this almost movie. sixty. Yeah. She's almost sixty in real life today, but even like for this time, like she was in her like mid to late thirties when they filmed this. Just looks so fucking incredible. Well, and then, like I said, even today she looks amazing. Real quick, do you know what other movie her and Keanu were in together? Yeah, Dracula, baby. Dracula, she was one of the brides. Yeah. She was one of the three brides. Brides. <laughs> <laughs> She was one of the three brides that were feasting on him for like half the fucking movie. The Merovingian has the keymaker captive. And this dude is just sitting here in this fancy restaurant, spitting his sophisticated cultural tongue all around. You see, there is only one constant. One universe, it is the only real truth. Causality. Action. Reaction, cause, and effect. Everything begins with choice. No, wrong. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. Look there, at that woman. My God, just look at her. Affecting everyone around her, so obvious, so bourgeois, so boring. What you see, I have sent her a dessert. A very special dessert. I wrote it myself. It starts so simply. Each line of the program creating a new effect, just like poetry. First, a rush. Heat, her heart flutters. You can see it now, yes? She does not understand why. Is it the wine? No. What is it then? What is the reason? And soon it does not matter. Soon the why and the reason are gone. And all that matters is the feeling itself. Now this is the nature of the we struggle against it, we fight to deny it, but it is, of course, pretends it is a lie. Beneath our poised appearance, the truth is we are completely. Being as pretentious yet eloquent so he can be his French, for, you know, because of his French ways. And we actually see this dude give a woman an orgasm with a piece <laughs> of cake. Yep. While he's going on and on about God knows what, what the fuck. Meanwhile, well, this woman's got to excuse herself. He's going about ca- causality, cause and effect. Like he gave cause the woman an effect. orgasm, therefore she's going to sleep with him in the bathroom or do whatever they're doing in the bathroom. But I love Lambert Wilson. He's like chewing up the uh, scenery in this. Like I think he's great as a barrel vigian. I, I think he blew it out of the uh, park. Yeah, I you know it's a very minor role in this one, 
it's memorable um, though. Like you ask a lot of people who've seen this movie, they're yes. gonna remember the Merovingian. Like it. Yeah. Uh, it, let's just talk about him. You know his role in this film. Turns out that he is a rogue program, just like Smith, with his own agenda. Yeah, he runs the black. Market. And that's essentially what he does. Yeah, and he refuses to let the keymaker go. Um, we. So yeah, so the woman excuses herself, the woman who got the orgasm, after this showcase, and then the, and then we're, where are we at here? Lost my own notes. So Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus are all relieved to be leaving alive, and then um, Persephone appears, turning on her scumbag husband altogether, and then she takes them to the keymaker herself, but not until Neo kisses her, and I mean really kiss her <laughs> um and kiss her like he means it too and i love the oh, way trinity reacts to those trinity's yeah, great. gotta stand there and watch like fucking awkward as all hell man but she's gotta understand you know gotta make certain sacrifices i guess so she then leads them to the grand lobby and into this room where a couple of knuckleheads from uh, an older version of The Matrix are watching The Brides of Dracula, an old Hammer film. Underrated Hammer film, by the way. Um, when she shoots one of them with a silver bullet and tells the other men, uh, the other guy to run and let her husband know what just happened. It's alright, boys. They're with me. These fellas work for my husband. They do his dirty work. They're very good. Very loyal. Aren't you, boys? Yes, yes mistress. mistress. They come from a much older version of the Matrix. But like so many back then, they caused more problems than they solved. My husband saved them because they're notoriously difficult to terminate. How many people keep silver bullets in their gun? You can either run to the restaurant and tell my husband what I have done, or you can stay there and die. He's in the ladies' room. Werewolves? <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. To up until this very moment, the silver bullet line went over my head and the fact that they are watching a hammer film all missed it. What? Am I missing something here with the whole werewolves thing? Uh, No, I mean, I just took it as like the basically... They're just going like the monsters in our mythology or because of like the old agents essentially of the matrix like they were the old enforcers they were monsters and that's why it's calling in the dracula so i just took it as like there's different versions maybe there's a werewolf version maybe there's a dracula version i don't know that's just what i read read it as all right so neo finds the keymaker who says that he's been waiting waiting for him uh, meanwhile, back in the lobby, the Merovingian arrives and confronts his wife, who calls him out for his infidelities by referring to the lipstick on his dick. Dick stick? <laughs> Lip dick? <laughs> so Morpheus and Trinity take off after this uh, short little runway, the keymaker. Uh, no, I'm sorry. They, Morpheus and Trinity take off after this short little runaway keymaker. After he gets scared away by the Merovingians, Jamaican ghost bots. The Island Boys. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the 
That's what I thought of the island boys, man. I was the island island boy. Go to chest key maker. Um. That's just what popped into my head. Like, I know it's topical now, yeah. but like, that's just what I thought of when I rewatched it. It's this. great. It's fucking great. So Neo stops his shitload of bullets from hitting him and then takes a group one of it's the Merovingian's men. Uh, Neo's revealed to be bleeding, and once again, the dialogue wants to remind us that he's just a man. So this fight here is fucking high-flying, some fucking high-flying stuff going down. Um, kind of ends brutally. The fucking mace in the guy's head oh, yeah. to kind of end it. Even though it's off screen, but still. Um, I've always dug it. Was it never was my favorite set piece in this film, but I've you well, know, I've always dug it. I've always been yeah, a big it's fan. It's a solid. Of it. It's a solid fight. It's not like the iconic scene, like you know, like the highway chase and the um burly brawl right, when he right. fights with uh Agent Smith. Those are like the iconic scenes, but this one uh, has great martial arts work, great wire work tight choreography i mean yeah it's a really great scene yeah i agree um and then these fucking ghost bots the island bots island boys sorry (laughs) and the concept of them like they turn invisible when it's convenient for them to do so like they've got these you know dreads they're like albino they're all wearing white they're just very 2000s. Don't really have they were like, nothing oh, much look, to say. This look cool in the early 2000s, but not so much now. I don't know. It's just a really weird yet specific like trick or trait that they can do with the whole invisibility, like kind of something you'd expect out of a video game or something. So like something like a goblin oh they're ghosts would do. like you got the werewolves and vampires now you got the ghosts like that's kind of what they are so you mean to tell me i've been just watching this scene wrong all these years i think so i think you're missing i think it kind of flew over your head a little bit i mean i'm not saying that's what they are but that's just how it's explained like there are these rogue things and they all have different like abilities and and powers in the past, so I think it, I think it's cool okay. with like with the fight scenes, like right. uh, the way they do stuff. I think it's a neat addition; gives it something a little different. Well played, well played. Um, so the Merovingian threatens Neo, saying something like, "He survived all the predecessors, and he'll survive him before leaving through a door that sends Neo into the mountains, the snowy mountains." Meanwhile, Neo and Trinity are battling the... Oh, sorry. Morpheus and Trinity are battling the ghosts in the parking garage and eventually evade the lot altogether inside of a car with the keymaker. The This sets up the film's big set piece. Oh, the yeah. highway. Fucking highway. I love the highway. I love the highway. Yeah. So Neo, he gets the other's coordinates from Link and takes off through the TV... Or uh, takes off into the, through the sky... Um, meanwhile, there's so much happening in this scene, it's just bonkers. So, they're on this highway, first of all, a 1.4 mile stretch highway was actually built on the studio lot of Fox Studios in Australia. This was a real highway, These this was really constructed for this movie, 
everything you see is real. Well, as far as like <laughs> as far as the, the set, set goes, yeah, uh, it's all yeah. there. All and a lot of the cars, you know, up until it's they practical. start flipping and stuff like that. Right, right, right. But I mean, this has the ghosts. This has the agents. This has so much. Yeah, I mean, so much, and it's just it's a fun shot. It's a fun scene. It's a great There's so scene. much going on. Yeah, and it's so fun. It's kind of like you're rewarded with this scene for for keeping up all this time. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely um, my favorite scene in the movie. It just has like everything. You like you have the stuff in the car where he's fighting with the one Morpheus is fighting with a ghost, and then you have the stuff uh, with the car chase, and then you have the stuff with the keymaker and the the fight on top of the semi. It just has like the everything semi, you can want. including with Morpheus holding the fucking samurai sword. Um, look, looking badass too. I got to admit, looks pretty badass in yeah. the scene. Morpheus. A lot of this stuff still uh, looks really good because they, you can tell they did a lot, like with the cars flipping, yeah, and crashing and blowing up. I mean, you know, you could tell they did as much as they could, uh, practically, which is a rare thing these days. So the ghost fellers get blown away. Um, I. They, I, I remember them getting blown on a screen, and we never see them. Yeah, again. Morpheus. How it happens. Morpheus, uh, basically tells Trinity to go on, so it's like convenient. Trinity is like looks over down the overpass, like oh, motorcycles, and her and the uh, keymaster, uh, drop off. But uh, Morpheus waits at the off ramp, and the ghosts see him in their Escalade. That's right. And That's right. He has that big ass like sword he moment. The sword. He slices the car. You actually see if you look really closely in high depth, you can see when he slices the car, you see some gas come out. So he sliced where the gas tank was, and then he turns around with like his automatic handgun uh, and blows uh-huh. him away. And then I guess at that point, the island boys are just fucking <sighs> off back to crypto or whatever they're doing. <laughs> You know they thugging, right? Yeah. You know they thugging. They're thugging. They did a TikTok video right after. They straight thugging, you know. <laughs> um, you know we thugging. So yeah, it's just awesome. They get blown away that 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 whole sequence, and then they're about to get their theirs went because the semi that they're on top of it's driven by an agent, and then another agent comes into the frame, and they're gonna do a head-on collision. Well, you missed which uh, Naomi and Ghost make an appearance, and they and Naomi's uh, yeah, badass, they save uh, Firebird. Yeah, they, Morpheus they falls save off the uh, Morpheus falls off. Right, I like that little so, part. He's like got his feet on the edge, and he's hanging there, and he's like, "Oh nope, didn't make it," and just falls off. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love that part because he ends up fighting a, uh, an agent on the roof with the uh, keymaker, and then. This, yeah, this, I, yeah, I just love the cars in this too because like Niobe has her badass, uh, like it's like a '67 uh, Firebird, um, and then the whole scene of this we didn't talk about this yet, but it's basically a Cadillac commercial uh, because the Island Boys are driving the new Escalade, and then uh, Morpheus and um, Trinity are driving the brand new CTS that just came out that year. So I remember they had like car uh. commercials everywhere. Like when we were talking about Matrix was everywhere. Like Cadillac mm-hmm. was definitely tied in because this was the launch of like their brand new uh, luxury sedan. And it was Matrix was like all over it. So if you're a car guy, you'll definitely uh, remember that and recognize that the launch of the CTS. So now Morpheus and the team, they have the key maker and 
Sorn and Niobe's teams have also joined Morpheus. And the keymaker, the keymaker explains how Neo can get to the source. He has the key to the source, but unfortunately, the building with the bomb—I'm sorry—the building with the door to the source is rigged with a bomb. But for the alarms to trigger, the building needs electricity. So there's a power station that needs to be destroyed. And apart from this, the emergency power system must be deactivated. When they are all down, Neo will have a 300. 14 second window like a little bit less than five minutes to open the door that leads to the source and the keymaker knows this information because he is a program that was built to know and maintain this information there is a building inside this building there is a level where no elevator can go and no stair can reach this level is filled with doors these doors lead to many places, hidden places, but one door is special. One door leads to the source. This building is protected by a very secure system. Every alarm triggers the bomb. Bomb? Did he say bomb? But like all systems, it has a weakness. The system is based on the rules of the building. One system built on another. Electricity. If one fails, so must the other. No electricity, no alarms. But you'd have to take out a whole city block to kill the power to a building like that. Not one, 27. 27 blocks? There is a power station. It must be destroyed. There must be some kind of fail-safe. Yes, there is an emergency system. The core network of the grid must be accessed. The emergency system must be deactivated. And what do you need us for? Neo could take them both out easier than we could. There's no time. Why? Once the door is unprotected, the connection will be severed. But another connection must first be made. How long will that take? Exactly 314 seconds. Just over five minutes. That is the length and breadth of the window. Only the one can open the door. And only during that window can the door be opened. How do you know all this? I know because I must know. It is my purpose. The Keymaker is now a rogue program who feels he must help the one get to the source. There are three teams and three tasks. If one fails, all fail. Morpheus considers it to be fate that they are all there. Um... So, real quick, after just spouting all that out, because it's pretty important plot information, the Keymaker is revealed to be a rogue program. That is now three characters in this fucking movie that are rogue programs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, st I'm starting to feel like the rogue program thing is kind of like a lazy man's excuse in the writing. I'm, something I never thought about before, but now that I actually do think about it, because I'm discussing it on a podcast it's kind of hit me now that in a way it never did before it's kind of lazy writing like this is now three characters that have the same petty excuse you're a rogue program like that's kind of a poor man's excuse like that's kind of taking the lazy way out of making your characters be more believable to the plot you know what I mean? well, does that make sense you can look at it a couple different ways you can look at it that way um 
you know, with the ending in the movie, it makes a lot more sense. Are they really rogue programs or is this another version of control by the architect? Uh, which we're going to get to. Yeah, which we're going to get to. So it could be like seen as that as another version of control because um, the key maker needs to be there to get the one to the architect. Or is it, um, right. you know, it, it just could be another uh, human versus machine thing. You know, in the first one, it's so much just True. human versus machine, human uh, good, machine bad. And this one, the lines are blurred. There's <laughs> machines that help. Um, human good, machine yeah. bad. <laughs> so this one, the lines are a little more blurred. It, it's a little more gray. Um, All right. So I, it could be any of those things, or it could just be lazy writing and, hey, Neo's got to get there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Movie's going to movie. So Neo then... Uh, has his little moment with Trinity prior to logging in. He asks her to stay out of the Matrix, that he has seen her fall, and then she finally uh, agrees. She's like, hey, if you say something's going to be wrong, then I'm not going to jump in there. Say no more, cuz. So Niobe doubts everything that Morpheus is saying, and it's kind of hard not to be doubtful, to be honest with you with Morpheus because he's kind of just sitting there with his arms behind his back spouting out all this stuff and people are just supposed to sit there and take it all in when it's kind of like a life or death sort of situation you know it's like how confident is this dude with his bald head frameless glasses and leather jacket you know <laughs> yeah how does those glasses stay on does he like glue them to his nose like i always wondered that we talk so me and sean talked about that um i thought it was always just the, the frames were just kind of green screened out you know what i mean but he he seems to think it was like practical and they were kind of like fitted for his nose and, and kind of held on with adhesive which makes sense but, but I'm called talking about the con in the no. context of the movie, like how the like he's doing all this fighting shit and his glasses are still on because it's 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 it, it goes with the whole idea that it's a simulated program. It's nothing's real. Yeah, I guess so. It, it can stay like that. It makes sense, you know. Given it, you think about it with the whole grand perspective, with the whole grand, you know, perspective, it makes sense. Um. So, Soren's ship, Soren's one of the two ships who agrees to stay behind and help out with this plan. Uh, well, they're not going to get his help because this ship is attacked and destroyed by Sentinels. So, the entire team just drops dead in the Matrix and they're checked out. Uh, and they can't even deactivate the emergency power system. That was what they were supposed to do. But while they're sitting there logged in and doing their thing... You just see them give out because they're dead. So they drop out. And so Naomi's team is the one who takes down the power station. Morpheus, Neo, and the Keymaker enter the portal with the many doors. They can't be reached and hence can't be warned that the bomb will go off if the doors open. So Trinity breaks her promise to Neo and enters the Matrix to take down the emergency power. This is the opening scene of the film. The, everything that we see in Neo's dream, we see again here. 
played out just like it is in the beginning, except for one minor detail, which we'll get into in a momentarily. She's disabled the power back up right after she's attacked by agents, and then we know what happens. As Neo, Morpheus, and the Keymaker try to reach the source, the Smiths ambush them. Now, they're in this like narrow hallway, a lot of doorways. Um, it's a hallway filled with doors, and we see Smith, and then eventually it's Smith versus one versus two because the keymaker just fucking dips out. He's like, ah, shit, I can't fight. I'm out of here. And leaves Morpheus and Neo to fight these many iterations of Smith because eventually all these Smiths start coming out of all these doors and overpower them. So the main Smith tells Neo he's followed his path and knows what he wants. And this is when all of the many Smiths appear and scare off the keymaker. Uh, like I just explained, uh, Neo saves Morpheus from nearly being plagued by Smith's, Smith's virus stab. The Keymaker unlocks the door to the source, but the Smiths shoot him dead as he closes the door. Ah, the old cliche of not realizing you've been hit by a rogue shot until the movie wants you to have that moment because, you know, script. Well, he's a program. Does he feel pain? I mean, I guess that's a valid question. Like, would he even feel anything like that? What is real in the Matrix? Neo meets a program called the Architect. Ah, the Architect. Hello, Neo. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. You have many questions, and though the process has altered your consciousness, you remain irrevocably human. Ergo, some of my answers you will understand, and some of them you will not. Concordantly, while your first question may be the most pertinent, you may or may not realize it is also the most irrelevant. Why am I here? Your life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the Matrix. You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. While it remains a burden assiduously avoided, it is not unexpected and thus not beyond a measure of control, which has led you inexorably here. You haven't answered my question. Quite right. Interesting. That was quicker than the others. Others? How many? The Matrix is older than you know. I prefer counting from the emergence of one integral anomaly to the emergence of the next, in which case this is the sixth version. Five ones before There are only two possible explanations. There were five ones before I don't know told me. This is probably the scene that it's parody the most causes the most conversation. Oh, that too. I always stop think about George Carlin and Scary Movie Three. <laughs> there was a bit with um It was at like the VMAs Will, that year. It, it was Will Ferrell, wasn't who it? it was though. Will Ferrell, I yeah, think. Yeah, it was it was, it was, it was. That's right. Will like, Ferrell. Vis a V Ergo, therefore. Like he was just like using all <laughs> these silly words. But do you know who was supposed to originally be the architect? 
No. Sean Connery. Yes, I did know that. Yeah, Thank you. It's actually, on that's it. that's in my that's in my trivia tidbits. Yeah, passed on it because he, he actually did pass it. on it. <laughs> he didn't understand the movie, and he wanted to make League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Good fucking choice there. Yeah, man, what a way to go out. Uh, so the architect's the creator of the Matrix, who explains that as the one Neo is himself an inner. Uh, I'm sorry. As the one, Neo is himself an intentional part of the design to the Matrix, which is now in its sixth iteration. Neo is meant to stop the Matrix's fatal system crash that naturally recurs due to the concept of human choice within it. As with the five previous ones, Neo has a choice. Either return to the source to reboot the Matrix and pick survivors to repopulate the soon-to-be-destroyed Zion as his predecessors all did, or refuse, causing the Matrix to crash and killing everyone connected to it, which combined with the, uh, the pending destruction of Zion would mean humanity's extinction. Neo learns of Trinity's situation and chooses to save her instead of returning to the source, to which the architect responds dismissively. Um, so, I actually found a really good article that explains this scene, kind of breaks it down. The articles from a website that I referenced before on a podcast here called This Is Barry. Um, and in the analysis of this, this whole moment with the architect, it says, This part of the movie got the viewer's brains to get into a knot. We have already discussed the ex- uh, the essence of this conversation. The system expected Neo to come to the source. He was merely an expected result of the programming flaw. Neo is the sixth such. He is the sixth one. Now, the other Neos on the screen behind him, because there's just a whole wall of nothing but Neos in this screen. I know. It, it visually, it's really, it's visually really cool, and I love it. Like you see, like Neo they're, flipping the bird. <laughs> like it, it's kind of neat. So what? Well, they represent they they represent various outcomes in uh, interpreted by the system. So they're the various system predictions of what Neo's actions would be. Let's go through the scene. So Neo asks, why am I here? And he says, your life is the sum of the remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the Matrix. You are the eventuality of the of a normal of an anomaly um, of an anomaly, which despite my sincerest efforts, I've been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. While it remains a burden, um, assiduously avoided it is it is not unexpected and thus not beyond a measure of control which has led you inexorably here and then neo says you haven't question, answered my question and he says quite right interesting that was quicker than the others he says others how many neo says what others so this is the architect telling neo that he's nothing more than an expected flaw but he, uh, but he doesn't tell him why Neo has come to the source. Neo catches this faster than his predecessors. The TV screen has Neo's predictions like others and how many, but Neo asks, what others? Um, the architect says, the, uh, the Matrix is older than you know. I count from the emergence of one integral anomaly to the emergence of the next, in which case this is the sixth version. Neo's 
five before me, he's lying. Bullshit. There are only two other explanations. There are five before me. Either no one told me. Either no one told me. And then the new Neo says, or the current Neo says, or no one knows. This is the architect telling Neo that he has measures that he measures the versions of the matrix based on the emergence of the ones. Neo is the sixth. This is the sixth version of the matrix. Neo realizes that no one knows his information. So blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go down word for word any more than I already have. Neo doesn't accept the offer of restarting Zion. He wants to save Trinity. In this moment, he backs into the matrix. He goes back into the matrix, flies like Superman, so quickly you see this like path of destruction caused by like his fucking warp speed that he's flying yeah. so fast to save her because she's currently falling because she just got shot. She is. Before- so like in the beginning, go on. Well, I just want to say before we move on, uh, you know, I think this scene is why this movie gets a lot more hate uh, than it probably should, at least especially back then. Because uh, no one gets it. Yeah, it's. It's it can be tough to understand. I'll, I'll be honest. The first time I saw the movie, I I didn't understand what, what this whole scene was. It was just this weird scene. You know, it's very high concept that the Wachowskis. I put got in. it in a nutshell, but not word yeah, for word. Like I, I under- just explained. I, I I got it in context. Yeah, I understood some of it, but it really ties into the themes of the movie pretty well. Like the Wachowskis, you they were being ambitious. Like you can tell they were trying to make the big action blockbuster with the fighting and all the cool stuff, but also have uh, grander ideas in the movie where it's not just your basic, you know, I'm not disparaging anything, but bad boys too, or whatever it is where it it's just what it is on face value. Uh, so, right, you, right. you know, the movies are all about control. Like, you know, do you have control or is someone controlling you? So Neo this whole time is supposed to be special breaking the system. And then you find out now he's just part of the system, just a different system they didn't know about. Uh, the control there and then you know like the architect said it's about choice like he's given neo the choice obviously they expect him to make the choice of saving uh humanity because he's the one and he's supposed to identify with humanity and make that choice even though as the architect says choices are relevant here but they still have to give it uh it, it just right. ties in really well like if you rewatch it and really think about it and really dig into it I think it's a good scene. Like I definitely appreciate it a lot more now. Back then I was like, who is that weird Colonel Sanders guy saying all these fancy <laughs> right. uh, words? Uh, so I think that's what turns a lot of people off uh, to this movie. Not saying like everybody sees it, like hates it, but I think that's why this movie, I think a lot of people feel it's just pretentious and just added on mm-hmm. to the movie to make definitely. it seem a uh, higher concept than it is. But I think it fits very well with what they were trying to do uh, with the movie. Um, do you feel the Wachowskis succeeded with, um, with, um, the screenplay overall? Do you think that they, do you think it's too much for their bridges? Do you think, um, this is a good screenplay? They're not, let's just put it this way. The, they are not known for their writing. Okay. Do you think this was a script that holds up or do you think that it fell flat? I think it holds up. I, I think they succeeded in what they were trying to do. You know, the first movie was much more, even though it had like the mind bending uh, twist in the first movie, it's a lot more traditional 
in like your sci-fi type movie. Whereas this movie is more like a big action blockbuster with all this other stuff bolted on it. It's a lot more uh, just unique in the way it's done. And what they were doing in the first movie is basically exceptionalism. Like all the people that were out of the matrix were exceptional. Like they all look cool with their leather and Neo is exceptional. He's got these powers and he's going to be the one. And in this movie, it's all about just commonality. Like Neo's not special. There's been five other ones. Uh, the people out of the Matrix are a measure of control. They're not special. They're just having to be Joe Smoes that uh, got you know or out of the Matrix as a portion of control. So they were really, I think, trying to go against a little bit more of the first movie and just do something mm-hmm. different. And I think it holds up. I, I, there's certain things that doesn't work as well, and I wouldn't blame anybody for seeing this as pretentious. Um, but you know, I'm a huge fan of these movies, so I've done a lot of digging and rewatching. I think when you really mm. think about it, it works pretty well, but I think if you're just a casual viewer, who's going to see this movie once, maybe it doesn't. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword, I guess. But I think overall, this is them at their best. You know, this isn't Jupiter ascending with dog boy and, uh, uh, <laughs> Eddie Redmayne screaming and then super quiet like this. Right, right. Wachowskis. Yeah, I think this is where they definitely peaked as far as their writing goes uh, with this film. So in like so, ne- like I said, Neo saves uh, Trinity right before uh, she goes splat over that car and takes her, whips her up onto a rooftop where you know. It's revealed. He tells her the bullet's still inside. He can see this, and then he takes it out with his bare hand. And then um, we don't, although see, you know, visually, it's not like we see him stick his hand inside of a wound. It's all shown through like the matrix coding and the green, you know, codes and stuff. The way they they use that, they 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 um they 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 incorporate that kind of style like I mentioned at the top of this plot breakdown that there's a lot more um, effects usage of the the matrix codes itself you know the green coding they actually have like visuals with it now in this movie uh, that, and they use that a lot more like in the first one um, you barely see it this one it's definitely in your face and this is this is proof right here so we see him uh, seeing that in that context pull the bullet out she flatlines, and then we get the first film's ending rehashed. Uh, I had to. I know. The bullet is still inside. Trinity, I 
literally. He's I never realized this before this rewatch. He's even rehashing everything word for word that she does to him in the first one when he's flatlined. The whole, you know, I never realized how much I love everything about love that's said from Trinity to Neo in the first movie is now said from Neo to Trinity, and that brings her back. Just like in the first movie, the power of love succeeds again, it prevails, and because of that, Trinity comes back, um, that's our happy ending for this, even though it's not our overall happy ending, because back in the real world, Neo reveals... He has told he was told that they have only twenty four hours and that the prophecy is alive. Morpheus doesn't believe him, but he apologizes anyway, swearing it's the truth. And then this is when the Nebuchadnezzar is destroyed. Completely. Done. But it's destroyed because of the, the sentinels. They find it, they they throw bombs. And no, like they shot detect. puts it. <laughs> it like shot puts yeah, it and, the ship. And they detect this so they are able to get out you know, on time, and then as it explodes and they're watching the ship go down, because it's kind of a big moment, you know, that's their, that's the main cruise ship, man, that's their baby, and it's now up in flames, and Neo's got this new ability that he's going to show off on these machines, after they come to attack them, he puts his hand out and stops them, but then it makes him fall into a coma for his effort, um, or from the effort. So the crew's found and picked up by another ship, the Hammer. The captain, Captain Rollin, reveals that other ships in defense of Zion were wiped out by the machines after someone prematurely activated an EMP and that only one survivor was found. And it's revealed that we see uh, we the camera. And I love this shot and how it's revealed. We have the camera. We have... Neo laying there in a coma and then the camera just pans up and laying right beside or right uh, opposite of him is Bane. Luck was right. He guessed that the machines would cut off the main lines in and out of Zion. He thought a counterattack might surprise him. It sounded good. I figured we had a shot until someone screwed it up. An EMP was triggered before we can get in position. Five ships were instantly down. When the machines broke through, it wasn't a battle. It was a slaughter. Was it an accident, some sort of malfunction? No one knows. Someone does. Who? Once the machines were done with us, they started digging again. We made a quick pass to look for survivors. You found one? Only one. know who Bane is so that's our shot it is Neo laying next to Smith in the real world and just like expected cut to black to be concluded as we get Rage Against the Machines Calm Like a Bomb bringing us out of this movie we get the end credits um real quick do you prefer Calm Like a Bomb or Wake Up for end credits matrix rage against the machine song i wake up i like to wake up better i'm more of a calm like a bomb fan actually it's it's funny i mean they're both good songs but i've always liked this one better 
So the credits play, and then we get our teaser for the next film, Revolution Revolutions. Um, and I remember that being a big deal, seeing this in the theater uh, back up in Bumfuck Hershey, and just being like, wow. I mean, kind of wish the film came out a couple weeks after this one, but now we had to wait <laughs> six whole months. Well, originally so. I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard the rumor was originally this was going to be just one long movie, uh, but it was like so long. It was like going to be three and a half hours or something like that. So overwrought that they decided to split it into two. See, I heard uh, that it was supposed to, I've heard it was always supposed to be two films, but I heard that, like I just said, the release date was only supposed to be a couple weeks apart. Oh, uh, okay. Um, Maybe that's what I'm thinking of then. Huh. I, th- I think I think the idea was since this was in the middle of May, they were going to hold off on revolutions for say Memorial Day, and do it that way. Um, that would have made sense. That would have been two weeks later. So, but no, they ended up holding off. I guess because they wanted to finish up the effects. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't have the facts in front of me to support that. That's just my assumption is they just wanted more time for the effects work because the third one was the final movie and it was kind of an effects driven film. There's a lot of effects in that one. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the matrix reloaded. Let's get into trivia tidbits. Now remember that because the more, you know, All right, so the fight sequences of Neo versus Smith, that the, you know, the big courtroom, or the, the big courtyard, basketball court uh, face-off, took 27 days to shoot. Yeah, I can believe it. doesn't really surprise me. Yeah. Uh, the Wachowski's contract for doing the Matrix sequels, Reloaded and Revolutions, included a stipulation that they wouldn't have to do any media interviews. They got special treatment. And like you said, Sir, Sir Sean Connery, <clears throat> Sir Sean Connery was originally picked to play the architect, but turned it down because he couldn't understand the concept of the movie. In an interview on the Team Deacons podcast in the summer of 2020, the trilogy's director of photography, Bill Pope, described working on the sequels as a negative experience, saying everything that was good about the first experience was not good about the last two. We weren't free anymore. People were looking at you. There were a lot of pre- there was a lot of pressure in my heart. I didn't like them. I feel that we were going in another direction. There was a lot of friction and a lot of personal problems, and it showed up on screen, to be honest with you. It was not my most elevated moment, nor was it anyone else's. The Wachowskis had read this damn book by Stanley Kubrick and said, actors don't do natural performances until you wear them out. So let's go take 90. I want to dig Stanley Kubrick up and kill him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Martial arts training for the cast and actresses, or the, the cast overall, started in November of 2000 and lasted eight months. And then finally, uh, Pre-production on the the two films lasted for a year. Shooting took a year, and then both films spent a year in post-production. Uh, before we move on, uh, uh, do you know sure. what's on the freeway signs? Uh, there's actually some hidden stuff on the freeway signs in the big uh, chase. 
I overread that. I mean, I, I, I overlooked that stat. I know one of the license plates says, um, Zion something. Yeah. So some of the license plates in the movie have meaning too. I can talk about that. Uh, there's different, um, Bible, uh, verses. Um, so there have okay. different numbers for different Bible verses that are, uh, and I don't know them offhand, but they're related to the movie. Um, but also on the freeway signs, there's cheat codes for Enter the Matrix uh, video game. So talk about synergy <laughs> Why am I there. Not surprised. Talk about synergy there. <laughs> you got some uh, cheat codes Jesus. on there. All right, box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit two hundred and fifty thousand American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. So the film premiered just like the first one at the Man Village Theater on May 7th, 2003 before being released to the masses on May 15th of 2003 from Warner Brothers Pictures. It opened up across 3,603 screens <laughs> coming in at first coming in in first place grossing 91.7 million dollars opening weekend that reminds second me, weekend um this was the most that? widest printed movie ever did you know that the reloaded oh yeah the the actual celluloid yeah like i read that 8000 copies or something like that it's crazy yeah the second weekend box office total was 36.9 million that was a 59.8% drop off from the first weekend uh, enough to bring it in at number two. Total gross worldwide, $741.8 million against a budget of up to $150 million because they split it with Revolutions. Um, I do know overall it made money for Warner Brothers. Um, at least this film definitely made money. I do know that there was a pretty substantial drop-off um, with once the third film was released, but we'll get into that uh, with the next episode. But this one, yeah, this was definitely a big moneymaker. It ended up being one of the top 10 highest gross films of the year. I do remember that. Um, yeah, it was huge. I mean, this is There was a lot of people. There was a lot of people here for this movie. Like I mean, everybody was talking about this Showing movie. up in the theater I saw it in, but when I got home and saw it, there was a lot of people there. So everybody, that says something. Everybody at the video store was talking about it, I remember. Uh, and also, I mean, you got to remember 700 something million. This is 20 years ago. You know, I don't know the exact inflation, mm-hmm. but it was unheard of for like very rare for movies to break a billion, not if, like today. If with it. If with inflation, if it doesn't just barely hit a billion, it's just under a billion with inflation with this total here. So, all right, let's go over to the Craig's Corner and see what they had to say about this movie. Rotten Tomatoes has the film at a 73% that is based on 246 reviews. Metacritic has it at a 62 out of 100 based on 40 reviews. And CinemaScore has it graded at a B+. Um, 
The Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus states, though its heady themes are a departure from its predecessor, The Matrix Reloaded is a worthy sequel packed with popcorn-friendly thrills. Uh, Let's start with a positive. Uh, Ebes gave the movie three out of... No, I'm sorry, shit. Ebes gave this three and a half stars. Damn, I didn't even know that. He described it as... In an immensely skillful sci-fi adventure, combining the usual elements, heroes and villains, special effects and stunts, chases and explosions, romance and oratory, oratory, and praised the fact that it develops its world with more detail than the first film was able to afford, gives us our first glimpse of the underground human city of Zion, borrows closer to the heart of the secret of the Matrix, and promotes its hero Neo from confused draftee to a Christ figure in training. He also compared the choreography of the Burly Brawl fight to that of Yang Wu-Ping in the 2000 film Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and called the scene one of the three greatest set pieces of the movie, along with Morpheus' announcement to the people of Zion and, of course, our favorite, the freeway scene. Um, and then some negative... Some critics regarding the focus on the action as a detriment to the film's human elements. Some critics thought that the number of scenes with expiratory um, dialogue worked against the film and the many unresolved subplots, as well as the cliffhanger ending, were also criticized. Really? I thought the cliffhanger ending worked, and we're going to get yeah, into that you momentarily. Seen, you haven't seen Empire? Like, come on. I know. And then others criticized um, other other criticisms included the film's perceived lack of pacing. Uh, Entertainment Weekly named it as one of the 25 worst sequels ever made. What? So, real quick, fuck you, Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, they got that I'm wrong. I'm going to sit here and defend this. That opinion is wrong. Um, I'm sorry. You guys are idiots. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's... I. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm done talking about that. All right, let's move on to pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Pros from myself, I put... It has a gripping opening scene that engages the viewer immediately. This film has the highway scene. Um, it has an effective cliffhanger. It, it features some excellent effects work. The main plot's fairly easy to follow. And finally, there is an imposing threat that makes you want to come back for the second part of the story. Uh, what were your pros? And then we'll do cons. Yeah. So uh, the cinema, my pros, the cinematography is fantastic in this movie. This movie just looks great. Um, they tweak the color a lot. So when they're in the Matrix, everything has that very green hue to it. Green and the real world's blue. Yeah, the right. real world's blue. So it's very subtle. But you, de- you know, even subconsciously, I noticed that even before, you know, I, I read about it. I noticed it like the real world different. Oh, and, uh, especially Matrix. the Matrix, it's very obvious. Yeah, so I always uh, like the cinematography and just the way that's done. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, the fighting and the action, I think, delivers. You know, the uh, 
the freeway chase to me is like one of the all-time great uh, action sequences. I just think it's well done, pays off. Agreed. Um, this movie pays off very well from the the first movie. Uh, you know, you don't see Zion in the first movie. In this one, you get this huge grand Zion, and it's really cool. On uh, the first one, you see uh, Neo flying at the end, like you're just waiting for Neo to get all those powers. And this one, he has all the powers, and it's awesome. Uh, so, it, you know, I think it really took the ideas of the first one and expanded just the way a good sequel should do. Uh, so I, I really think that's a great one. Uh, pro for me, the cast is fantastic. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is Morpheus. Uh, I absolutely believe that he believes that Neo is the one. So I love him. <laughs> right. uh, Hugo Weaving. Um, the cast is just great. I think everybody uh, does a great job. I, I really don't think there's any uh, big weak spot other than you know maybe some of the extras or whatever. Um, and yeah, just the themes and the writing. I think this is like you said, the Wachowskis at their best. Um, you know, I enjoy the themes of control and faith and man versus machine. I, I think it adds a little something to the movie just other than being a dumb action movie. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of great stuff in this. All right. And my cons included, uh, I wrote down, it's only the first half of the story. So there's no real resolution. I don't like that. It features some dated effects. And then finally, I have a con that says dialogue can be biblical mess. It can be a biblical mess at times. So three minor cons, you know, nothing huge, nothing heavy, um, nothing that really would steer me away from my overall or take away from my overall opinion of the film. Um, But this is by no means a perfect film. So definitely wanted to throw those in there. How about you? You have any cons? Uh, Yeah. So. Um, you know, I think they're a little overambitious uh, with some of the effects, especially uh, the Burly Brawl scene with uh, Neo fighting the Smiths. I respect what they oh, were yeah, doing. Definitely. And at the time, right. I could tell it didn't look that great, but now it really yeah, hasn't same. aged well. Like, that is by far, like, the worst scene as far as effects. I think they kind of overreached a little bit. I think it could have been solved if they just had a few less uh, Smiths in there, if it was, like, maybe just you know, five or six or something like that. You still get the point across and you, I think you would have a better scene overall. Um, the other con is, yeah, some of the dialogue is a little hammy, a little over the top. I, uh, you know, I think the architect scene, while good overall, I think there's <laughs> a few inclusions in there. I know they were trying to make him seem like a machine and, you know, perfect, but I think it might've turned, uh, quite a few people off in that scene. I think it could have been handled maybe a little bit better with the dialogue and, and other spots in the movie as well. Um, and I guess, uh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. What was my last? I had one more con. I don't know. Let's call it there. <laughs> all right. Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? For me, I would trim a few scenes out to tighten up the pace and the uh, runtime. Um, like I said, it's it it comes in at a little bit over two hours, but you got to think about the whole grand thing, and it's not just this movie. There's a second whole. There's a whole second part to this movie that's believe it or not even longer than this one. Therefore, yeah, I would trim a little bit. So even when watching this as a standalone, if you have no intentions of watching its follow up or the the second part. 
and just want to watch this, you know, there's there are people out there that are like that. Um, it could overall just still use that trim and just, you know, a couple things could come out in this movie and just tighten up that pace a little bit better. So, um, yeah, I'm, if I'm being honest, I really, as far as my Mulligan moment, I really don't have one. I don't really know what I would change per se. Uh, and that's fine. Yeah, I enjoyed the movie. I, I honestly don't. There's really nothing that stands out uh, to me that I would say at the time they should have tweaked. I, I don't know. I just think uh, yeah, I think it's ironic earlier you said it was like one of the worst sequels. I think this is one of the best sequels. I mean, I like the original better, but uh, this one's not too far behind, so I wouldn't change a thing. All right. Finger looking good. It's finger licking good. And for me, it's the highway scene. Come on now. The freeway scene, 100%. It's no, no other scene holds a candle to this one. It's just special effects, action stuff galore, and it works. It looks great. It just everything about this scene works for me. So, yep. Uh, I mean, mine's going to be the same the highway scene. I mean, yeah, it. It's just iconic. Like even watching the movie the first I mean, time, the the fact that they built an actual like replica freeway for that's like a mile and a half long. That's just awesome. That is so incredible, and yeah, it definitely translates very well to you know the film, and 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 it looks incredible. You you don't you know think even knowing that it's a fake freeway that they, they built themselves it's like watching it does it doesn't take you out of the element one bit i mean yeah you can definitely tell now knowing that it's a fake freeway that in distance that's not a real city skyline that's just you know a, a matte painting or or something else in the background that's just depicting a city skyline but yeah other than that you know this movie yeah yeah so yeah i just <laughs> it's just great. Like it has everything. It has your car chase and your wrecks and your explosions. It has hand to hand combat like the Morpheus and the agent. It has, um, cool motorcycle stuff mixed in there as well. You have some hand to hand stuff inside the car. Uh, it's just well paced. Like it's a good long action scene. Yeah. Honestly, they, they did a bang up job. I, I, even if I'm not going to rewatch the whole movie, I could just rewatch that scene and be happy. Oh, real quick. I remembered my last con. I don't know if you want to like edit it. I can oh, say it oh. now and you can edit it in. Uh, but I remember yeah, my guys, last con now. Um, so for my final con, it is some of the style in the movie is definitely early 2000s. It doesn't age too well. Uh, like some, some of the people in the matrix uh, that are freed look cool. Some of it looks a little ridiculous. I think it looks cooler back in the the early two thousands. Uh, but now eh, a little, yeah, a little hokey. It looks a little BDSM in some spots. (laughs) Um, you know, in my opinion, in my opinion, a great movie is timeless. This movie is definitely not timeless in any way, shape or form. And it's not going to be because of the technology, you know, the whole movie's based on technology, so of course not. But I think some of the style in the movie definitely dates it a lot more. Alright, movie MVP. Alright, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. 
the most valuable player is. I am giving my MVP award to Carrie Ann Moss for this movie. I gave it to Keanu for the first film, and I'm definitely giving it to Carrie Ann for this one because I feel like she is the star of this movie. Um, she can hold her own. She's a badass woman who definitely just kicks a lot of ass as the character of Trinity, and she's got a lot to do in this movie and does a great job of handling it. So for all those reasons, and you know, the movie basically opens with her. It's basically her movie in in a sense. Um, so yeah, Carrie Ann Moss is my MVP, hundred percent, hands down, love her to death. All right, so mine is Mr. Hugo Weaving. I think his nice. character in this movie is such a leap uh, from the first one. In the first one, he's good. Uh, you know, you can tell like his disgust for the humans, and you know, he's a good villain. Don't get me wrong in the first one, but I think he takes a leap in this one. Like you, uh, at least for me, I can tell he had so much fun with this movie, just with the comedic parts, with him talking to himself, just the little physical gags, like mm-hmm. when Neo flies away, just the way they all look at each other. Like you can just tell Hugo Weaving was having a good time with this movie. And uh, it carries over to the next one as well. And even I got to give it up, even though it's not Hugo Weaving, even the guy who uh, I don't know the actor's name, uh, but Bane, who is uh, turned into uh, Agent Smith and then he's in the real world. He does a great job, too. Like, I completely buy that he's a real Agent Smith in the real world. Uh, so uh, Ian Bliss. Yeah, I, yeah, he does a really good impression of he him. He does definitely. a good job. Like, I buy that he's an Agent Smith, but Hugo Weaving, uh, I, I don't know. The, he just makes me laugh in the movie. Uh, with just some of his lines and uh, you know, some of not all the lines are winners. Some of them are a little bit cringeworthy, but uh, you can tell he's having a good time and he's, he's definitely a step up from the last movie. Yeah, definitely. All right. So final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. And with our final thoughts, we also now have a final five-star rating to give out with our final review. So I'm going to go first, and I'm giving The Matrix Reloaded a similar score, just like the first film. Four stars, barely edging out the first film, however. So technically, you know... I'm not trying to make this like a decimal thing, but if it were, this would be more like a 4.25 rather than just a 4. But no, they're both 4s, but this one, I I do enjoy this a little bit more than the first one. I definitely went on record before saying that Reloaded is my favorite. And upon this rewatch, that statement still holds up. It, it it, It does a lot. It adds a lot to the first movie or, or, or kind of picks up where the first film left off and elevates it sort of with, um, you know, there's nothing groundbreaking about the effects work. It's just enhanced. It takes those groundbreaking effects that the first film did and enhances them and kind of does a couple things, you know, takes a couple of chances with the effects and a couple of scenes. So um, it's irrelevant whether or not they worked. That's not the point. The point is they tried and because of that, you know, I can't do anything but, you know, give this movie all the props in the world that it deserves. So, definitely my favorite film of this uh, four-film franchise. Um, and, yeah, I, I the action's great. Uh, it's It doesn't have 
too much of a over convoluted plot. It's pretty easy to follow. Um, I, I feel like it is. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a good time. The matrix reloaded is a good fucking time. So how about you? Um, so I'm going to agree with, uh, Ebs on this one. I'm going to give it three and a half, uh, stars. I think he nailed it. Um, I wasn't on the last episode, but, uh, you know, I would give the original matrix a four, like to me, the original is a step above. Um, but in this one, it's still a great sequel. I, I think it, it, it's one of the best sequels out there, honestly. I mean, it's not like on the level mm-hmm. of like a Terminator two that just completely blows the first one out of the water, but you know, I can't imagine a better sequel. I mean, it just has more. It pays off all the good stuff from the first one into this one. Uh, and you could tell they put a lot of thought into um, everything in the movie. Um, it has great action. It has good dialogue in some parts. Uh, yeah. Um, it also is just fun. It's just a fun movie. Even though it has like some of the heavier themes, and subtext you don't need to read in all to all that too much to have fun with this movie it doesn't bog it down you can still just watch it as like a big blockbuster get the broad strokes of the story and still have a great time watching it um you know it's a little bit dated now uh but this is one i'll be revisiting for uh, a long time and i think people are still watching enjoy I, i think there's just a ton of uh great execution uh, in every aspect of the movie, and yeah, this is just a excellent summer blockbuster. All right, this episode is sponsored by Everything Remix. Crank the bass to eleven. And Oaken Fold Your Life, one B at a time, like it's 2003 and you've got nowhere else to be. <laughs> All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effects seal of approval, and that will bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow, gang. If you enjoyed this episode and want to continue to support the show, please do so by leaving a five-star rating and honest review over at Spotify, over at Apple, over google amazon wherever you listen if it's feasible and they allow you to leave ratings and reviews please do so help us out it helps things you know it it, it kick drives that algorithm and it gets more and more attention in our direction and we just want to reach out to as many people as we can so you can help us achieve that by helping with the algorithm and in turn leave that five-star rating and review after you listen to this episode. In the meantime, you can check out our previous episodes over at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast as well as checking out all episodes on all major platforms. We are on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Corey. The Film Effect Podcast. And how about over on Twitter? Where can you find us at over there? At Film Effect Pod. How about the TikTok? Where can they find us at on the TikTok? Yeah, I checked out the TikTok. I know Sean doesn't use it, but I can tick and talk. And it's Film Effect Podcast. All right. And how about that old-fashioned email address? Where can they send those over to? Yeah, for all the uh, grannies out there and the grampies, it's... The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. 
All right. And one more note, gang. Do not sleep on our Patreon page. That's right. Like I've been saying for the last couple weeks now, January 1st, our Patreon went live. And we would really, really, really appreciate the support. And like I said, I always say, you help us. We will definitely take care of you. So all information is over on the page. Film Effect Podcast over on Patreon.com. Check it out. You know, it sounded um, like a meantime, draft guy. We need you. <laughs> That's what it sounded like at first. Um, <laughs> but real quick, you. before we move on, I just wanted to say like the Patreon. I know some people view it as, oh, you know, they're just trying to get money. But realistically, it just supports the show. Any dollar that's going to go into the Patreon is going to go back into the show just to give everybody more content. Uh, oh, definitely. So that's definitely the way to look at it. Uh, I know some people uh, view it as like, oh, it's just you know people trying to make money or eBay or whatever. That's not the case at all. We, you know, I know uh, Ed and Sean are both super passionate about it, and uh, they just want to bring you guys more content. Um, so that's what it's all about. Absolutely, man. Definitely. I mean, like I said, we have a lot of big things coming up in the works. And to be honest, in order to get those things, in order to achieve those things, it's it, it, it costs a little bit of money and it's not cheap. So I had no problem paying for it. But if we had something like a Patreon, which we do now, that would really, really elevate the uh, stress and help things out. And, um, like I said, we got a lot of cool things planned to, uh, kind of give back. So you help us out. We're definitely going to be taking care of everybody. Got a lot of really nice exclusive stuff to come. Um, and and yeah, so, and like you said, you're going to be helping the show out by supporting and, um, yeah, help us out. Can't thank you enough. And next episode, I will be back with. Justin this time talking about the third film of the franchise, The Matrix Revolutions. And believe me, gang, I have got a lot to say about that. Corey, thank you so much for doing this, brother. It means, as always, it means a lot. And I'm really, really already, you know, looking forward to you coming back with everyone for the Resurrections episode, which is coming up as well. So, um... You and I go back with this film, and I'm glad that we were able to sit around and talk about it for the last couple hours. It um, took me back, and it was a good conversation, and I'm really happy with uh, the way this turned out so far. And uh, all I got to do, all I got to do now is edit. So, but thanks again, man. I appreciate you doing this and taking yeah, the time yeah. out of your hands. No, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's always a good time. I enjoy doing it. I'm looking forward to doing like the Avengers episode. Uh, of having all four of us together because it hasn't happened yet so i'm excited about it now it's gonna so and yeah uh nothing witty just gonna say thank you all again um so yeah until these uh theater lights come down something about clothes I, i can't do it i'm just gonna sign out by saying i've been ed that's been Corey. It's been fun, but now it's that doesn't have the same ring. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. We will check you next time. Uh, I, I can't even fucking sign off right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Check you later. See you guys. What you say? What you say?
This concludes our broadcast day.